man, have you ever had an assignment you just were dreading and you did not want to do? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm leading music at Champion Forest this week in Houston. And that's a church that runs about 4,000 or 5,000. And I'll just be honest with you, I am not looking forward to it at all. Uh, <laughs> it's just my nerves are shot. I guess if I could carry all this group with me, I'd be all right. But uh, you pray for me this week. I'll be back uh, Saturday, uh, Friday night late, but uh, you pray for me this week as I do that. Romans 10, verses 1 through 5. The scripture says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. Father, thank you today for the blessings you have given us. What a wonderful day it's been serving you and just seeing lives changed and fellowshipping with other Christians. God, I pray tonight that you'll just have your way in this service tonight. Speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. We love you and thank you for taking care of every need that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, want to speak tonight just briefly here on man's greatest need or the greatest need that a man has. Um, I was speaking to a man about his problems in life, and he was a very educated guy and, and a lawyer. And he said, Preacher, you really don't understand the, the problems of life. I said, What do you mean I don't understand the problems of life? He said, Well, you probably read the Bible more than any other book. And I said, Yeah. And he said, You are narrow in your scope, and you don't understand what, what our problems really are. And I said, You know, Man only has three problems. Now, a lawyer can complicate things. Amen? If you're here tonight and you're a lawyer, I'm sorry. Uh, you may be different, and, and I love you no matter how complicated you are. Uh, but uh, I said, man's only got three problems. He said, oh, no, man. Man's got many more problems than that. I said, no, man's got three problems, only three. He said, what are they? And I said, well, sin, sorrow, and death. And I said, the, first, the last two are really connected and underground of the first one. That's the problem. And he said, oh, no. I said, well, you, you figure out a fourth problem other than sin, sorrow, or death, and give me a call. He called the next day, and he said, man has three problems. And I said, yes, sir. That's exactly right. Uh, I want to tell you, we've got the book that answers all three of those problems. We've got the Lord and Master that answers all three of those problems. And that's a glorious thing. There's only one cure, and that is uh, the answer to man's greatest need, and that is salvation, to be saved today. The, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Hey, I, I want uh, social work to be done, but Jesus didn't come primarily to do social work. He didn't come primarily to be an educator. He didn't come to be a great physician or a great healer. He came primarily to seek and to save those which were lost. 
And we need to be doing all these other things. And this is a Sunday night crowd. I can be honest with y'all. And we, we, we do those things, I think, pretty good. We're, we're feeding people who are hungry. We're ministering to families that don't have much and, and then those that have plenty. And we're reaching out and doing all that. But the real truth is we're not very well at seeking the lost. Now, we, we want to make them feel welcome when they come here. But I want to tell you, we're not very well at seeking the lost. So three things here tonight. <clears throat> Number one, the righteousness that's needed. Number two, the resource that is near. And number three, the requirement that's necessary. You say, why are you going to give all three of them? Well, Buddy made two trips to the, family, to the Grand Hall back and forth, and I figure he's going to go to sleep along about that second point. And I wanted him to go ahead and have all three points before we started the message, all right? Let's look at this first one, the righteousness that is needed. In verse 2, follow with me, this word righteousness over again. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Moses described uh, the righteousness which is of the law. He said that the man which doeth those things shall live by him. Now it's obvious here, it's very clear that God here is talking about righteousness, what it is, and how to obtain it. Man's, you know, man's always usually backward when it comes to spiritual truth. Uh, we usually get things turned around 180 degrees from what God really intends for us to do. You see, man thinks that, that, that a man is righteous because of what he does. Man thinks that righteousness is a reward, that righteousness is a goal to be achieved. If you can do certain things, that's going to make you righteous. And Paul said, if righteousness come by the law in Galatians 2.21, then he said, the, Christ, the death of Christ is in vain. Listen, if you could do good enough to be righteous, there was absolutely no use for Jesus to ever come. There's no need for him to die on a cross because you had another plan. There is no other plan. If man could be saved by living a good life, then why in the world did Jesus come? But it's not by the law. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7 says, We are the circumcision which worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh. He said, I be more. Now, what Paul is saying here is, if you think you're good enough to be righteous, let me tell you what I am. And he goes on in Philippians there to say that. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, I was a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But he said, what things were gained to me, I counted those as lost for Christ. <laughs> you know what he's saying? I, I've got a, a spreadsheet up here, and on one side's the liabilities, and on one side's the assets. And he said, I've got all these assets. I've been circumcised. I'm from Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He's going through all this stuff. And he said, but when Jesus came in, I took all those things that I thought were assets and I put them over on the liability side. 
Because that righteousness does me no good. None whatsoever. Paul had all of that. He said, I counted them but lost. You see, uh, a road may be good, but if it's carrying you the wrong direction, you're going to end up getting to your destination faster. It's not the destination you wanted to go to. You say, well, it's a good road. Yeah, it is. But you'd be better off to be on a bumpy, hole-infested road and get where you need to go rather than on a good road and get where you don't need to go. And that's what Paul is saying here. Over and over again, <clears throat> we preach this message that it's not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy, uh, Titus 3, 5 says, it's not a reward for the righteous. Now, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, was raised in a very godly home. His mama, Savannah, loved the Lord and got him up, got ready for church. You know, it's, I was thinking this morning, uh, one of them asked me over at Arabella, why do we always sing Amazing Grace? Anytime I'm anywhere over, you know, preaching, I always close with Amazing Grace. I know it's an old song, but it means more to me than anything in this world. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember getting up and going to church. I, as far back as I can remember, though, that's what we did. Mama had our clothes laid out on the bed. We rolled out of bed. You could see the floor, the dirt underneath the floor where the chickens were sometimes. And you got out from under those old heavy quilts and that bed that had a U shape in it there. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? And you rolled out and your clothes were there and you just, it, it was habit. You went to church. But because of that, one night in that church, the Lord came down and spoke to me and saved me. And I've never been the same. And I want to tell you, I owe it all to him. I've gone through dangers. I've gone through toils. I've gone through snares. Uh, we've all gone through those. But I tell you, it's the amazing grace of God that keeps us going. When nothing else will keep us going, that amazing grace. And then to know one day when we get up there, even singing for a million years, it's just going to be a drop in the bucket. So Wesley had a tremendous family. He got to be a young man. He went to Oxford University. He studied the reading of theology. And, and when he was at Oxford, he and some other young men got together. They got them a club together. They called it the Holy Club. They wanted to be holy. It starts out being good. It, it, we, it, how they long to be holy. And then he said to himself, if I know all of this theology... I must share this theology. So he left England and came to America, came to the state of Georgia. He was going to uh, uh, be a missionary to the heathen in Georgia. And one night, man, his testimony is that, that he realized he'd never been saved himself. And he went back to England. And his testimony is this. There was a strange warmth came over me and literally he was saved and literally started the Methodist Church a tremendous preacher much of our theological uh, assets come from him uh, all because of that and he said Lord Jesus I trust you to come into my heart forgive me and save me and the Lord did it now verse 4 in this passage here for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth 
You see, you, you know this. I, you're not saved by keeping the law. We understand that. The law says do this and you'll live. The gospel says you live and then you can do. <laughs> the law says pay me what thou owest. The gospel says I freely forgive. The law says thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. There's nothing wrong with that. But the gospel says herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The law said cursed is everyone that continue, <clears throat> continueth not in all things which says which are written in the book of the law. The gospel said, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The law says the wages of sin is death, but the gospel says a gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law demands holiness, but the gospel provides holiness. Boy, that's a big difference right there. The law says you do. The gospel says it's already been done. The law places the day of rest at the end of the week. The gospel places the day of rest at the beginning of the week. Start it off right. The law makes blessing the result of obedience, but the gospel makes obedience the result of blessing. The law says run, but it doesn't give us any legs. The gospel says fly, and it gives us wings. Thank God for the gospel. If you're here tonight and you've not been saved, you're going to have to stop trying and start trusting. That's the key to salvation. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. Mm, I cannot work my soul to save what God has already done for me through Jesus. So <clears throat> the righteousness that's needed and then there's a resource here that's right here by us. It's very close to us. He said in verses 6 through 8, The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep? That's to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is near thee. The word is near thee, and he tells us how. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that's the word of faith which we preach. Wow. Paul's saying you don't have to go off to find Jesus. You don't have to go climb a mountain somewhere to find Jesus. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage. You don't have to go on a safari to heaven. You don't have to ascend up into heaven to bring Jesus down. It's no need to pray and, Lord, come down and save this race. Why not, preacher? Because he's already here. He's already come down. You don't have to go to hell, Paul says, to bring up Christ again from the deep, from the abyss. Listen, not only has he come down from heaven, he's come up from the grave. He's already done that. He suffered, he bled, he died. His incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, <laughs> you do not have to do. It's already been done. Paul said, listen, Jesus is so close the word is so close, the word's in your mouth. The word's in your heart. You say, how, how does that happen? Well, I just put it there. You're hearing the word of God. When you open this book and read the word of God, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. 
The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. It's a word of faith that we preach. This is how close you are to salvation. Let me give you the third thing. The righteousness that's needed, only righteousness from Christ. Only the righteousness from Christ. The second is the resource that's near. It's the word of God so near your mouth and so near your heart. The third thing there is the requirement that's necessary. Now, everybody wants to say, oh, yeah, I knew there was a catch. There's not a catch. Quit being cynical. God gives us some outlines. If you want a taste of what the Lord has, you've got to do it his way. You're not going to do it your way. I don't care what Frank Sinatra said. You're going to do it his way or it won't be done. Now, verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart uh, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Hallelujah. And then you skip down to verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now there's four things that's necessary. Number one is there's a confession. Verse 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. The, 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 the word is in your mouth right now. Uh, you've got to confess it with your mouth. When a man believes in his heart, he's ready to confess it in his mouth, with his mouth. <clears throat> Becky and I, uh, I've told you this before, but it's you know illustration that just is real to us. We were visiting one night with a friend of ours, uh, uh, and, uh, and he was from Canada. He's the doctor from Canada. And we visited, knocked on this door, and rung the doorbell, I guess, that day, that night. And this lady come, and she turned just as white as a sheet and just kind of left us standing at the door. She said, hold on just a minute. And she just walked off and left us standing at the door. Well, when you're in Port Arthur, you don't stand anywhere very long. It's kind of like being in South Longview. Uh, you you kind of look around you and make sure everything's all right. But anyway, we were standing right there by her door, and finally she came back. She brought us in. My wife's here. She can verify this. Terrible that preachers have to verify everything. I, I don't know why you don't just believe us. But anyway, we got in her house, and she was just primed. I mean, she was ready to be saved. It was just that quick. Man. And then, you know, after it was over with, she apologized. She said, I know I looked, you know, just disturbed and in space. But she said, uh, I was talking to my mother. She lives in Canada. And come to find out, the guy that was with us, the doctor, he lived about, what, 15 or 20 miles from where her mother lived. And she said, I was on the phone with my mother. And I said, Mama, I, I don't understand the whole plan of salvation. And she said, she told her, baby, I, all I can do is pray that somebody will come by and explain it to you. You need somebody to look through you face to face and explain the plan of salvation. And she said at that moment, the doorbell rang. And I came to the door, and here y'all are explaining salvation. And she was gloriously saved. Her husband, she said, he needs to be saved. He came home. We waited for him. He, he understood it all, but he just said, nah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Just not ready. 
And uh, so we went back again. No, I'm just not ready. I sent three or four other teams over there. No, I'm just not ready. And finally, one night at visitation, two of my deacons, I said, uh, uh, Roberts was one of them, Jamie. And I said, guys, would you all go one more time? If you just go one more time, I promise I'll never send anybody else back there. Just one more time. And that night he got saved. Those two guys led him to the Lord. But they came back in our little share time and they said, now preacher, he's not going to come down the aisle. I said, well, mm. I said, let's just pray. Because I want to tell you something, folks. When you get saved, you, you'll come down an aisle. I mean, you, he said he, he's not, he's big guy and he did. He weighed mm. 400 pounds plus. I was already worried how I was going to baptize him. Because uh, we, we didn't have a big baptistry like this. We were in a church relocation. We had a little old tub about that big. And I thought, he ain't even going to fit in the thing, let alone me get him underwater. But anyway, Sunday morning came. He was there sitting right over on this side of the building. When we started the invitation, he almost knocked his wife down to get out to come down and I said I called his name and he said uh, look I man Jesus got a hold of me I'm saved and he said I want to follow the Lord in baptism I, I, I want to go all the way with Jesus I said praise the Lord I said we'll set it up that night they left on vacation or the next morning they left on vacation they were in Conroe his wife called me Tuesday morning he died in his sleep Monday night. Wow. You just, man, it just blows your mind. But I want to tell you something. He's, he's in heaven right now. See, uh, you need to be baptized because that's what's happened on you inside your heart. But that's not a requirement to go to heaven. I'm just telling you, if you really get saved, you'll want to be baptized. Jesus said, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is heaven. Now, it's a believing heart that saves us, but it's the confession from the mouth that shows that we're saved. Mm. Not only the confession, but the confession comes because of a commitment. What do you confess? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Literally in the Greek, if you'll confess with thy mouth Jesus Lord. He said, that's the, the, the commitment there, that Jesus is Lord. And sometimes we hear people talking about, well, I received him as Savior. Well, I don't want to tick you off, but I differ with that. You see, Jesus is Jesus. And if you're going to receive him, you're going to get all of him. I mean, I, there, there's not a part of him. The Bible doesn't ever say that you receive him as your Savior. The Bible says you receive Jesus Christ. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Now, let, let, let me break it down. You say, what's the difference? Well, suppose that I'm going to do a wedding this week, <clears throat> and this couple comes down, and they're wanting to be husband and wife. But uh, he tells me before the the funeral, uh, before the wedding. <laughs> he tells me before the wedding, now look, <clears throat> I love this woman. She's everything to me. But I want you to say that 
I'm going to join you together, husband and housemaid, because that's what I really want. Now, you think that woman's going to like that? No, if you get her, you get all of her. If you get Jesus, you get all of Jesus. You can't get Jesus as Savior without having Jesus as Lord. Now, I realize you can accept him as Lord and Savior, and you can backslide. But don't come telling me that you made him Savior 30 years ago, and now you're going to make him Lord. Because that's not going to fly. When you get him, you get all of him. Uh, confession, commitment, and then there's a confidence in this. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised you from the dead. That's the confidence that you've got in God that he raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. It doesn't say because he was born of a virgin. It doesn't say even because he died on the cross. Our power comes from the fact that Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's resurrected. That's where the power comes from. The resurrection is the capstone of all the other miracles. <clears throat> I believe Jesus walked out of that grave. And that's confidence. Somebody's clearly said of the resurrection, if Jesus Christ is still in that grave, nothing really matters. But if Jesus Christ came out of that grave, nothing but that really matters. I mean, if he didn't come out of the grave, then, hey, we're on our own. But if he did come out of the grave, that's what we've got in common. So the confession is rooted because of a commitment, and the commitment that's rooted in the confidence gives us a tremendous courage. He said in verse 10 and 11, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made. For the Scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, that's the courage of salvation. You've got a confession, you've got a commitment, you've got confidence, and you've got courage. If Jesus was raised from the dead, he is the living, and he's alive tonight. You say, well, what does, what does that mean that I'm not going to be ashamed of him? The Greek language there, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, you know, one, one of the ways you can know that you really are a Christian is if you're not ashamed of Jesus. And that Greek word literally means we'll not be in a hurry to get away. <laughs> now, just picture that with me. That's the Greek meaning of that word. That means, have you ever been in a conversation somebody started talking about the Lord and you thought, ooh, I'm uncomfortable. I've got to get out of here. These fanatics, they're talking about Jesus they're going to laugh us off the planet. i got to get out of here. No, to not be ashamed of Jesus would be not in a hurry to get out. Ooh, we used to sing an old song, Let's talk about Jesus, the King of kings. Is he? Yeah, you had to be there. But I tell you, we ought to be talking about Jesus, talking about it. The fact that he's raised from the dead. Uh, that's why we ask people to come forward, to not be ashamed of the, 
of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard a story a long time ago about a young lady in a worship service. and Don't prejudge this, but uh, it was an evangelistic service. You could tell she was under deep conviction. And uh, she was weeping and sat in the back of the auditorium. And a personal worker went back there to talk with her and said, Would you like to be saved? And she said, Oh, yes, I would. And the worker said, Well, come on to the front. Confess Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. And she said, I I can't do it. Oh, no, I can't do it. I can't go down there in front of all those people. She said, I'd like to be saved back here. And the worker said, Well, you can't be saved back here. Now, don't judge. Let me finish the story. (laughs) said, You can't be saved back here. you got to go to the front. She said, I won't do it. The next night, the same thing again. She sat back there, cried. The worker went to her. I'm not going down front. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Hmm. The third night, the worker went back there, and she said, yes, I'll go anywhere for Jesus. I'll go anywhere for Jesus. Now, I'm not telling you you can't be saved on the back row or anywhere else. But I want to tell you, when you get saved, You ought to be excited about Jesus. You ought to be willing to tell everybody else about Jesus. I loved it when little Isabel made a profession of faith. She wanted to come and and run right to me that night to tell me what happened. I'll tell you, that's the way we ought to be. But you know, many times we know we've got friends that are not living for God. And we think that we're going to rile them up or we're going to They're going to hate us or something like that. But I want to tell you, you're the only hope they got. You're the hope they've got. Tell them about Jesus. The greatest need that our friends, I was in a uh, marriage uh, conference several years ago, and I just asked everybody, uh, what's your greatest need? Write down what's your greatest need. Write down. And I think there were like 20 couples in there, maybe 21 Out of those 18 couples wrote, my greatest need is we need just a little more money a week to live on. That was their greatest need. So the next night, I came and I got money and I put a $20 bill in each envelope for every one of those families. And I said, now, I've met what you said was your greatest need, so you shouldn't have any more problems. But you know, money's not our greatest need. If you make a little bit more, you'll spend a little bit more. It it just works like that. The greatest need that any man has is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest need. Now, forget about being spiritual. Let's don't be spiritual. Sometimes that gets corny. Let's just be carnal. Let's just be common sense. If man's greatest need is Jesus... And we have Jesus. Don't you think that's kind of rude in us for not sharing Jesus? To want to have all that Jesus gives us. And we see families that are going through all kinds of miseries and all, but we don't share the answer to their greatest need. God help us to speak up. Would you bow your head? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're we're not going to sing or anything, but I just want you to just be silent and just ask the Lord, Lord, 
Have you met my greatest need? I mean, am I really saved? Have I confessed? Have I made a commitment? Have I had the courage to stand up and say, I love Jesus, and I'm not going to back down from that? Because, Lord, if I haven't, the greatest need I have tonight is to be saved. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, Lord, would you just lay, Lord, I, I don't want you to lay 10 people. I don't want you to lay five people. 